0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best game, podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, November the 15th, 2021. Today's show. I break down the events that took place Saturday afternoon in Columbia, Missouri as the Gamecocks fall to five and five in the two thousand twenty one football season by a final score of to to the Missouri Tigers. Guys, I'll just talk about what went wrong in Como, give my full takeaways from the game. We'll also talk my biggest takeaway from Saturday, and I'll hand out some TSUS game balls, my slap big of the weekend, and hand out our weekly Cock of the Walk award, as well as, again, guys, the Gamecocks, yet again, find themselves scrambling here on this Therapy Monday. Also, guys, news and notes to get into that include... Action on the hardwood over the weekend as the men's basketball team took place in the Asheville Championship. And the women's basketball team did work in the Mammoth Invitational. Guys, I'll give full recaps, breakdowns, my full takeaways from both the men's and women's team from over the weekend. Also, guys, we have your listener questions, your voicemails, and a fantastic conversation, guys. Another throwback interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman Nashawn Goddard. as We talked about his illustrious career in Garnet and Black, guys. We've got a packed show here to Monday, foreign all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, to so a Gamecock owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course if you have any other questions go to their website upstatemoversgroup.com that's upstatemoversgroup.com be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you let's get it saw this one coming all my real Gamecock fans saw this one coming we alluded to it all week we were optimistic yet cautiously optimistic we had seen this movie before (laughs) and folks the ship still sinks too often had we seen a Gamecocks football team pull an upset and then spend the following week celebrating, patting themselves on the back like they had just accomplished something. Only yet to go into a very winnable football game and fall flat on their face. Folks, I'm Chris Phillips, the Spurs Up Show as always, and welcome to Therapy Monday. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Folks, again, thank you all so much for tuning in here on this Monday, November the 15th, 2021. Appreciate each and every single one of you. And that's where I want to start because, again, we have got a lot to get into here on a Monday from the gridiron to the hardwood. A lot to discuss. A lot to talk about. And, again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope this show does find you well. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope it finds you where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job. You got the day off. Maybe you're in class. Whatever it is. Again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. That's where, again, I want to start with some gratitude. First things first, all those who came out to our watch party this Saturday in Fort Mill, South Carolina at the Carolina Ale House location, thank you, thank you, thank you guys so much. And I also want to say... Thank you to Carolina Ale House because, of course, that was our final watch party of the 2021 football season. And I want to give a huge shout-out and say thank you to them. That was a massive success this football season, how incredible it was to go across the state of South Carolina and get to meet so many great Gamecocks and interact with you all and people that you know I've probably interacted with on social media a decent amount or what have you, but to actually get to shake hands, and you guys show your love and appreciation. Me show my love and appreciation to you all as well. It was truly incredible. So, again, thank you to Carolina Alehouse for giving us that opportunity to go across the great state of South Carolina all over this great state and meet a bunch of great Gamecocks and watch Carolina football as well. And, again, thank you all so much. To anyone who attended any of our watch parties at Carolina Alehouse over the course of the season, I truly cannot say thank you to all of you Enough. Again, guys, we have a couple of housekeeping items here on this Monday, then we'll just dive right into it, but a couple of really important things I do want to highlight. First things first, guys, we are giving away a pair of tickets for this weekend's game against the Auburn Tigers at williams Bryce Stadium. Of course, guys, kickoff at 7 o'clock, but we're giving away a pair of tickets on Instagram, teaming up with our good friends over at Dason and Shalabi Law Firm. Be sure to go check that giveaway out, guys. We will announce the winner of our giveaway on either late Thursday or Friday at the time of recording this. I have not decided yet. Probably Thursday afternoons. But again, you want to act quickly. It's on Instagram. Like the post, tag three friends, and follow Dason and Shalabi Law Firm on Instagram for your chance to be eligible. Guess what, guys? We're going to have a giveaway for Clemson also. So you want to make sure you're staying tuned to Instagram specifically is where the giveaway is taking place. And again, we appreciate our friends over at Dason and Shelby Law Firm for making that a possibility. Also, of course, this week, we are live Wednesday at Ten Roof. Five to seven, $3 drafts, $0.50 cent wings, $3 rumple shots. You guys know the drill. Taking your questions, comments, everything else guys, there and partying up like we do each and every single Wednesday at Ten Roof. And finally, of course with Saturday being a home game. Of course, yes, it is Auburn week. The TSUS tailgate returns to Sewell. Spots 93 to 96. Kickoff at 7 p.m. We'll be out there probably around 12.30 or 1 o'clock getting rowdy, getting after it, folks. Again, if you have not been to the TSUS tailgate, there's only two left this season, so I highly suggest... You guys, come on out. It is going to be one hell of a time. Again, that's Seawell's right beside Jaco's Corner, right across the street from the Rocket in the fairgrounds. If you got any more questions, shoot us a DM, shoot us some questions, whatever it is. But again, seawells spots, 93 to 96. Cannot wait to party it up with a bunch of rowdy Gamecocks before South kind of takes on the Auburn Tigers. All right. Without further ado, let's dive into it. It is Therapy Monday, folks. Again, the Gamecocks falls to the Missouri Tigers 31 31- to 28 and i'll tell you what while this is a therapy monday i am not nearly as upset as distraught as angry as i think many of you are or many of you expect mean to me to be you know what i equate this to and this might have happened to you growing up you know how when you were growing up right and let's say it was your dad, maybe your mom, but a lot of times in this instance, it's the father, correct? And you do something. You tell a lie. You steal. You make a mistake, whatever it might be. And your dad didn't give you a whooping. He didn't put you in timeout. He didn't ground you. No, nothing like that. All your father could stand or do was look at you and say, son, daughter i'm not mad i'm just disappointed and sitting here on this monday there's really no better way i can describe my feelings today because you can ask anyone who was at the watch party on saturday afternoon at carona alehouse in fort mill and you guys heard me all week right i was very optimistic coming in this game against Mizzou, right? The matchups lined up well. You had all of the momentum. We spent all week long with tons of positivity, a Gamecocks program, fan base, football team, coaching staff, with a ton of confidence. And I think we all felt good going in this football game. But again, all my real Gamecock fans knew This was a possibility. And that's why I stressed all week, I'm optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic. Stress on the word cautiously. And I told those around me, probably 30 minutes before kickoff, we're talking about the game, conversating. I said, yeah, I'm confident. I feel very good. The matchups line up well for South Carolina. But I know better. I've been a Gamecock fan quite a while. And while I'm optimistic, nothing would surprise me. Nothing will surprise me. Because unfortunately, guys, the reality right now is when it comes to carry football and you're coming off of a huge win and you spend all week patting yourself on the back and telling yourself how good you are and making funny videos, jabbing at the opponent, all real Gamecock fans, if you're truly honest with yourself, deep down, you had a feeling this was coming. You had a feeling this was going to happen. What happened on Saturday is not outside the realm of possibility. We, we knew that going in this ball game, And the big question was, which gamecocks football team is going to show up and here's the funny thing guys i think it was just the gamecocks that showed up we talked all week leading the game hey this is like a, this team's like a like a weekend warrior golfer you take his best performance you take his worst performance that's not who he is on a weekend-week-out basis. The truth lies somewhere in the middle, and all you could hope was the Gamecocks were closer to the Florida game version than they were to the previous eight games we saw throughout this season. Well, that theory got thwarted very quickly on Saturday, by the way, when you saw Florida get roughed up by the mighty, oh, I don't know, Samford? Florida trailing at halftime. And so all of a sudden, you know, the day started auspiciously when you looked at that score and said, hmm, hmm. Does that make me feel less confident about what the Gamecocks did the week prior? And I even said to myself, you know what? Florida's not great. They're in disarray. But South Carolina had to take advantage. They had to take advantage of Florida. So I took nothing away, and I still take nothing nothing away from the Gamecocks for that victory and the way they beat the Florida Gators at home. That's a program you don't traditionally beat. Take nothing away from South Carolina for winning that football. But you can see this coming from a mile away. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into it, guys, because it's leading. It's segueing perfectly into this. My biggest takeaway from Saturday, and I said this in postgame, or I might have said it at halftime, whenever I said it. Guys, my biggest takeaway from Saturday is this, and I I see many of you on social media, and what a roller coaster, and this is why I spent a lot of last week, again, trying to inject some perspective. Because this has been the cycle the last few weeks. Get clobbered by Texas A&M fire everyone bench everyone everything is terrible hell just blow up the program leave the SEC you are not worthy So we dealt for that with we dealt for that with, you know for two weeks right dealt with that for two weeks. then we go into the Florida game everyone telling me we have no shot to win we won't win another game we go into the Florida game. Gamecocks do the unthinkable, stars align, perfect night at Willie B. And South Carolina, under Jason Brown's leadership and a revamped running game and an opportunistic defense, clobbers the Florida Gators. What's the narrative last week? All throughout the week. Extend everyone. Everybody's the greatest coach ever. All these players are great. We're the greatest program of all time. We're not going to lose another game. Then what do you know it? What happens on Saturday? Well, South Carolina goes out and does not lay an egg, by the way. Does not lay an egg. Gets beat. Gets beat. Makes bad mistakes. Does a lot of the things they did in the first eight games of the season. A lot of the things they did in those first eight games. And now, what is the narrative here on this Monday? What have you all seen? and heard from Gamecock fans. Right back to, we won't win another game, fire everyone, these players are terrible, blah, 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 blah. Guys, my biggest takeaway from Saturday is this. The Gamecocks are who we thought they were. Bottom line, end of story. You knew this 2021 football season was going to be a roller coaster. You knew this 2021 season was going to be erratic. This team is bipolar. This team is inconsistent. And guys, the reason that I'm not willing and ready to throw in the towel on the rest of the 2021 season, number one, I have perspective. But number two, the same thing that causes many of you to believe we won't win another game is the same thing that causes me to believe we could win the next two. This team is so wildly erratic and inconsistent. You just never know. On any given night, they could show up and get their brains beat in. But on any given night, they could show up and play their play their asses off, play out of their asses and do something crazy and maybe beat somebody they're not supposed to. But this team is who we thought they were, guys. And that's okay. That's okay. But the Gamecocks are who we thought they were. South Carolina, as I said last week, is not as good as the team that you saw beat down Florida. South Carolina is not a zero turnover per game, a one penalty per game, a Jason Brown playing like a Heisman contender, a 284 rushing yard per game, a limiting an opponent to less than 100 rushing yards per game. The Gamecocks are much, much closer to what you saw in the first eight games of the season than they are to what you saw when they beat down Florida. And that's what showed on Saturday. Now, again, am I upset? Am I frustrated? Am I disappointed? As I mentioned earlier, that's the biggest thing with me. I'm disappointed because you missed out on such a golden opportunity. And the way it happened was so maddening. And it's got to start with the run game. It's got to start with a line of scrimmage, by the way, on both sides. It's got to start with the line of scrimmage on both sides because both sides. Need to carry some blame this week. Guys, we talked all last week. Missouri came in this game with arguably, not arguably, the second worst in college football defense, giving up 271 yards per game on the ground. 271. And I was, I felt like I was being somewhat conservative in the prediction, saying, hey, rush for 200 plus you had a good night. Solid. You know, I, you'd know, you like to get back to 284 or eclipse the 271, but just rush for 200-plus. We'll call it a good night. Not only did you not rush for 200-plus, but you didn't rush for 100-plus. Guys, you ran the ball 35 times for 57 yards. Anybody want to do the math real quick? No? I'll do it for you. One- 5.6 yards per carry. On the flip side, Missouri ran the football 46 times for 258 yards. 5.6 yards per carry. Guys, this isn't rocket science. I know you're all sick and tired of me this season, and I'm sick and tired and telling it to you. But you can talk Jason Brown, you can talk receivers, you can bitch and moan that a guy like EJ Jenkins ain't getting the ball. You can talk about Jaheim Bell and this guy and that guy, and the defense is on the field too long, and Shane Beamer's an idiot And Satterfield. Guys, if you can't run the football and you can't stop the run, you're not going to win many games, especially when the numbers are as gaudy as those. I truly can't comprehend why South Carolina could not run the football any more effectively than they did on Saturday. I I think without a doubt, you know, we had all our warm and fuzzy feelings last week after the Gamecocks beat Florida, and, you know, that's all fine and dandy. I would be absolutely shocked if Greg Atkins is employed by the University of South Carolina much longer after the season concludes, I'll go ahead and throw that out there right now. I also don't think Marcus Satterfield is going anywhere, guys. Hey, you can keep talking about play calling all you want till you're blue in the face. But guess what? And I said it on social media, and I'll double and triple and quadruple down on it because those with a brain know what I was saying, okay? Okay. Because I went on record and said, you know what this game shows? You know what this game proves? And this is not an indictment on the kid. It's not a shot on the kid. What the game Saturday against Mizzou shows, Jason Brown, as well as he played, he wasn't the answer, guys. It, it wasn't just all of a sudden, you know, and I know there's many of you out there, and I'm, I'm good buddies with a couple that, that just thought Jason Brown was, was the second coming of the Messiah. and. and These guys just want to play for Jason. They love Jason. That's why the O-line looks so much better. To hell with that dumbass logic. To hell with the logic of, well, they're just putting another guy in the box because they think Jason can run. That logic is such bullshit. That's just people wanting to cling and put it all on the quarterback. Guys, the answer wasn't Jason Brown against Florida. The answer was an offensive line that finally stopped getting bullied around and pushed somebody else around for a change. That's why everything worked. It's as simple as that. And again, that's not an indictment on Jason Brown, who I think actually played fairly well, all things considered, to have no run game. You know, was it a great performance? Not at all. I think Jason Brown looked much more like I expected Jason Brown to look when he got his opportunity this season. But my point of my statement was this. There's not a quarterback on this roster that can succeed without a running game and pass protection. That's it. That's it. I I don't care if Brett Favre. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers was behind center on Saturday night. Connor Shaw. You run for 57 yards, and you allow your opponent to rush for 258, guys, you're going to lose every time. You're going to lose every single time. And you turn the football over the way you did. You'd lose two fumbles. You throw a pick. Hey, bad things are going to happen. I want to make it very clear, by the way, with what I said, because I'm sure there's still many of you out there. What's he talking about Jason Brown for? Jason Brown is by far this team's best option at quarterback the rest of the way out. But if this football team cannot block, if it cannot open holes, if it cannot run the football, and guys, again, I'm as dumbfounded as you. I'm as dumbfounded as you. In regards to why can't you run the football against a such, and I I feel like you bailed on the run, to be honest with you guys. I mean, you had 35 attempts, but it just felt like in the second half, especially, where was the run game? You got to at least continue to try it, you know? And again, I'm I'm very hesitant to put a lot of blame on Jason Brown, who, you know, statistics were respectable, 16 to 30, two touchdowns and a pick, had that beautiful throw to Josh Vann. Um, You know, you look at his rushing numbers, though negative 50 yards on the ground. Uh, the thing that made him so successful against Florida, I think, was sort of his undoing, that little one little spin rollout move he's got. You know, teams pick up on that, man. You, you just can't do that every single time. But again, I, you shouldn't be expecting Jason Brown to be going out there and playing like a Stephen Garcia, Connor Shaw, Dylan Thompson, and, and winning this game for you. you. You couldn't run the football, guys. And unfortunately, at times as well, it did look like a football team that, you know, and I guess it's easy to point to this, but Shane Beamer brought it up as well. At times, it looked like a football team that had read its press clippings, patted itself on the back. Hey, you ever notice when we don't win, none of our guys post pictures on Instagram, right? None of them. They don't, they don't post hardly. Hardly any of them post. Nothing. When we win a game, oh, I mean, the, the pictures are flowing, man. You you can tell when we win a ball game because pictures on Instagram, they're going up. They're going up. Everybody posted on Instagram. Look at me. Look at my highlights. I get it. I don't care if you post on Instagram. That's not what I'm saying. I post on Instagram every day. But keep the energy consistent, man, because it, it just it looks foolish. It looks foolish. When you do things like go make a video of Josh Van taking a nap in the end zone, and then what do you do? You have a coverage bust in the secondary. Damn near look like that same play where the Mizzou receiver wide open. But so again, we wondered who this team was. We wondered, quote unquote, which version of the Gamecocks football team would show up, guys. I think that just what we saw on Saturday, that is the Gamecocks football team. Florida was the outlier. That what we saw is this team. But again, with that being said, I'm not going to be nearly as irate and upset and distraught as some of you here on this Monday. Because I know there's many out there on social media and just about Gamecock fans. You know, we got a couple of voicemails. We got questions that people are losing their minds. You know, maybe these last two weeks, guys, have taught us something. Maybe these last two weeks, maybe these last three weeks, you could say, A&M, Florida, Mizzou, maybe they've taught us something. Maybe they've taught us that it's just not a good idea, especially when your football team, when it's year one of a new head football coach, maybe it's not a good idea to overreact one way or the other. And again, Maybe that's going to lose me some listeners, you know. I, I people love the hot take and you know, they loved they loved when I was kicking and screaming fire and must champ and and I'm always going to be honest and say what I want to say. But in year 1 of a new head coach, maybe it's just a good idea to let's reconvene two Mondays from now after the dust has settled on the 2021 season as a whole. And then we can really take a look at this thing as a whole, and then we can kick and scream and bitch and moan and be upset if things don't go our way. But the energy that I've seen, the shift of we're going to win every game, now we're going to lose every game, now we're going to win every game, now we're going to lose every game, it just just makes you look foolish. It makes you look silly, and I'm not going to sit here on this Monday and have that sort of reaction. Nobody's happy with what happened on Saturday. It was, it was, it was disappointing. I'll say this my biggest disappointment, it was disappointing to see a football team, especially early. I mean, really have the chance in this game to capture all momentum, damn near send what you felt like would be a knockout punch to Mizzou. And you and you single-handedly kept them in the game. You, you, you gift-wrapped them a touchdown early with that fumble. And, and, and that changed the entire flow of things. I mean, you were only down three and a half. You were only down three and a half as bad as you had played. And I, I still got sit city. I don't think Mizzou's a very good football team. I don't think Mizzou's a good team. I don't. There's nothing about what Mizzou did on Saturday that tells me they're a good football team. I doubt they win one of the last two. I know they got Florida. I, I doubt they beat them. Really, truly, I, I just don't think Mizzou is very good. But you couldn't take advantage. You couldn't take advantage. And, and it's so disappointing I see a team that couldn't build. I don't care what state of state of mind Florida's in. You couldn't build off what you did. It Just, you know, back to making penalties, back to turning the football over, back to being who you really are. Again, guys, my biggest takeaway, the Gamecocks are who we thought they were. It was fun while it lasted of celebrating and acting like we were something we weren't. But what I had been saying all year long that, hey, this is a ragtag bunch of Gamecocks with a first-year coaching staff who are just all trying to figure it out, that's who you are, and that's okay. Hey, this team's bipolar. This team's erratic. This team's inconsistent. So, again, the same things that are – making you pessimistic that South Carolina won't win another football game, those are the same things making me optimistic that we might do something crazy and win one of these last two. But the Gamecocks are who we thought they were. Jason Brown is who we thought he is. This offensive line is what we thought it was. And again, let's, let's not, by the way, because I have praised the defense all season long. And I don't want to spend the next 10, 15 minutes just completely ripping a new one in the defense because they've played their tails tails off, they've played their hearts out all year. But man, I, I just, for the life of me, I can't understand why we cannot stop the run any better than we do. And this has been a problem for years. And I've got to think it lies at the linebacker position, majority. I think we might be a little undersized on D-line. I know people love to, love to heap praise on our D-line, but guys, we can't stop the run to save our lives. That one game against Florida, don't change that fact. We can't stop the run. Why is that? Our secondary is still a little bit, you know what, they've they've, they've played better than they are this year, and I give them credit for that. I, I truly, truly do. We got some guys in that secondary that have played much better than I think they really are. They've played good football, especially for them. But our secondary is still not elite. Our our secondary still has holes. Our secondary still has issues. You saw that on Saturday. But stopping the run. I mean, Jimmy Lindsay, he's the D-line coach. What's going on? Why can't you stop the run? I mean, we're all talking Greg Atkins all season. That's fine. But, damn it, let's give Jimmy Lindsay some blame, too. Because Mizzou, when they needed to, when they wanted to, they ran it down your throat. And there wasn't a single adjustment made by the defensive staff. So let's have them share the blame also. Because defense didn't hold up there end of the bargain either. And you can talk about, well, Chris, you know, the defense is on the field so long. Was Luke Day not doing his job? These guys should be ready to play, son. It wasn't 100 degrees on Saturday. Give me a break. Give me a break. You know why the defense is on the field so long? You want to know why? Well, when it's third down, you might want to get off the field as well. Can't get off the field on third down, you're not going to have a lot of success. You're not. Seven to 14, they went on third down. Not rocket science, man. Run the ball, stop the run, don't turn it over, play fundamentally sound football. You'll win. You'll win. But again, what you saw on Saturday, the Gamecocks are who we thought they were. They can't get out of their own way. It's a team that still just struggles to handle prosperity and it struggles to get out of its own way. And that's okay, by the way. That's okay. Hey, year one, guys. What's, again, scary is you're exactly where I picked you to be at this point in the season, sitting at five and five overall with two to play. And what's even scarier, I know I picked last week the Gamecocks to beat Mizzou, but in my preseason predictions, I picked Mizzou to beat South Carolina by a score, get this, 30 to 28, and the final score being 31 to 28 on Saturday. So I guess I should have stuck with my preseason self. But, again, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, it's upsetting. Like I said, I'm not mad, I'm not furious, I'm not ready to throw in the towel, but I am disappointed. I am disappointed. Disappointed that you couldn't capitalize on momentum from Florida. Disappointed you couldn't couldn't capitalize early in the game against Mizzou. I'm disappointed you couldn't run the football. Disappointed you couldn't stop the run. Disappointed you couldn't make more plays on defense. Just all around, man. All around, you had a great opportunity, and you squandered it. You squandered. There's no other way to put it. Doesn't mean the season's over. Doesn't mean this team can't still get to a bowl game. We all we all know this team plays much better at home. We we all know who's coming to town this weekend. What former Gamecocks OC. And we all know who's the next weekend. And we know how bad they've been this year. But it's still disappointing. And, that, and that's, that's the number one mood and emotion I feel today. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed, man because you just let one slip right through your fingers. Can you rebound? That'll be the question this week. All right, let's move to TSUS game balls, guys. We do want to hand out some game balls. Uh, first one, had a solid game. Took the over on him on prize picks for receiving yards, and surely he did hit it. Josh Van played a big part with Jason Brown. Uh, five catches for 62 yards and a touchdown. Kudos to you, Josh. Uh, Cam Smith had a really good game. Led the Gamecocks in tackles. Ten total tackles also have a nice interception on the sideline. Uh, I don't know what the quarterback was thinking on that throw, by the way, but uh, Cam Smith there to take advantage of it. So, Cam Smith, you get a game ball. And my final game ball, Brad Johnson, who has been a really good player for Salcona this year. You know, I, I talked about the linebacker position and how they got to get better, and you just honestly, guys, need to recruit there. But Brad Johnson's been playing his ass off all year. Eight total tackles, one interception on in the game. Great to see him making plays for the Garnet and Black. All right, let's move my slap dig of the weekend, guys. And, and this one I think you'll all agree with. You know, sometimes I had somebody ask me, is your slap dig of the weekend, is it a person? Is it a, is it a thing? Is it an entity? Well, You know what, guys? It just goes to whoever, whatever deserves it. And this week, my slap dig of the weekend, simply put, is the line of scrimmage. The line of scrimmage, both sides, offensively and defensively. For the, the rushing statistics that I mentioned earlier, I couldn't just pick one. And I ain't, guys, I'm not just talking players. I'm talking Greg Atkins. I'm talking Jimmy Lindsey. I'm talking everybody who had anything to do with scheming running the ball and stopping the run because guess what? You fell short, and you are the reason we lost. You and only you. Congratulations. You are the slap dicks of the weekend. And my final thing, guys, Cock of the Walk Award. Each and every single week, we hand these out. Guys, we need to start asking ourselves, because I know we love to talk about Kevin Harris. We love to talk about Marshawn Lloyd. You know, we love to talk about Juju, you know, somebody, Juju McDowell, man, why does he not get more touches? No, no, no. But what we should be talking about is, is Zaquandre White the best running back on this roster? Because every time he touches it, good things happen. And he runs like a man possessed. 10 carries for 60 yards, a touchdown. Guys, he also had two catches for 42 yards and a touchdown as well. This dude is a playmaker. This dude makes big plays every single time he touches it. Get the football in Quan White's hands. If you want to win, put hot boy in. In the discussion. Talk of the walk award. It's a Quandre White. Congratulations, my friend. So again, that's my breakdown, guys. That's my recap of the Gamecocks 31-28 loss to the Missouri Tigers. Of course, we're going to spend all week long breaking it down, discussing it. Of course, tomorrow with Alex McGrath, but, um, yeah, just disappointing, man. Disappointing. It hurts. It stings. It sucks. But, again, with that being said, I will continue to be the voice of reason. I will continue to be the person who is injecting perspective into your daily lives. And, guys, again, the reality is this. The reality is this. And I'll go out on a limb and say this right now on the airwaves. I actually fully expect Southam to get their sixth win. I don't know if it'll be this weekend. I don't know if it'll be, to be against Clemson but two things number 1 this team plays wildly better at home and number 2 this team guys is so bipolar so erratic so inconsistent and guess what the two teams it has left they're the same exact way so uh, it, it's it's not out it, it's not crazy to think it might happen and guys again if the gamecocks do end up 6 and 6 and you know what's funny? Another side note. What what this season, it's funny. What this season is really boiling down to, and I said this a few weeks ago to a buddy of mine, but I don't know if I said it publicly. What this season is really boiling down to is simply the South gonna beat Clemson. It's all boiling down to the South kind of Clemson game. Because here's the thing, guys if Shane Beamer beats Auburn but loses to Clemson. Well, the spin on the season is going to be negative. Oh, you couldn't beat Clemson when they're down. Shame Beamer's not the guy. Fire this guy. Fire that guy. We, we all know what the reaction is going to be. They guess what? You lose to Auburn, but you beat Clemson. Oh, my God. Shame Beamer's the greatest thing ever. Ever. Extend him. Everyone's great. And we're living in la-la land until kickoff of next season. Right? All the previous sins are forgiven. So I guess that's kind of the funny part. When you speak of rivalries in college football and how much they can change the outlook and the perspective on the season you had. But there's still a lot of good that can come. You know, if you were jumping ship after A&M and then Florida happened and then you find yourself similarly wanting to jump ship after Mizzou, maybe just take a step back and just reevaluate and say, you know what? Maybe it's in my best interest to not be a shock jock and not be an overreactor one way or the other not saying don't hold people accountable, not saying don't be passionate, don't be upset, don't clamor and, you know, expect more. But maybe it's wise to just realize, you know what? This is a roller coaster ride of a season. And overreacting to the extremes I've seen some do, it's not healthy, guys. It's not healthy. And again, maybe maybe I would have more listeners and more subscribers and and more people would tune in and follow the content if I was trying to just be a shock jock every week. But that's not me. I'm not going to do that. It's year one of Shane Beamer. We knew it was going to be a roller coaster ride. And if you didn't expect that, then I guess you had bad expectations coming in. So again, we're going to talk Mizzou all week. Podcast, David Crow. You guys know the drill. And I look forward to it. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, your questions, your comments, your calls, and everything else. All right, let's move, guys, into our news and notes, talking basketball, and then we'll get into your listener questions and voicemails because there are a ton. And then we have, again, a great conversation. with Ashawn Goddard, of course, we do not want to end this show Without talking about what happened on the hardwood over the weekend, we'll start first with the ladies on Friday night, the Mammoth Invitational. Uh, Gamecocks taking care of business. I will be very brief with this one. 72-41, to 41, South going to do and work. Big game upcoming Wednesday against Clemson at home, which should be no problem for Don Staley's squad. They're going to show Clemson. They still own the state, and it's not even close. But Gamecocks do get a big win. Uh, maybe some questions on the injury front with Raven Johnson, a new freshman, but overall, 72-41. to 41. I mean, I made a prediction with this game, and I think I was off like 15 points the other way. I mean, Don Staley and crew just dominating. So, again, congratulations to them. Moving to 2-0 early in this season. On the men's side in the Asheville Championship, the Gamecocks, a mixed bag for sure. A one in one weekend, a very disappointing loss on Friday, falling to Princeton sixty six to sixty two, and then Sunday night the Gamecocks beat Western Kentucky by double digits. A pretty decent Western Kentucky team, by the way, seventy five to sixty four in that ball game. You know what's crazy, guys? When I talk Gamecocks basketball, I actually think of this basketball team very similarly to how I think of this football team, in the sense of bit of a roller coaster ride, bunch of new pieces, going to be up and down, going to be rocky especially early. The problem is is that Shane Beamer's a first year coach and Frank Martin is a 10th year. Either way, I digress. Um, you know, very disappointing loss on Friday. Very disappointing. We've just we've grown so accustomed to these bad losses early. You know, and I, I I who knows how good Princeton will be. Maybe they'll be a really good team. I don't know, but just so painful to watch. I mean, a basketball team that it's it's crazy how many guys can get to this level of college basketball and just not be able to shoot. Worth a damn. Um, Eric Stevenson's my favorite player, guys. He truly is at this point. He's my new favorite player. Guy is the definition of shooter. Shoot. You know, I made this joke with a buddy of mine on Friday night, but I, I bet you our guys are hell at the bar and they're hell in the DMS on Instagram. when talking with the ladies, because I tell you what shooters shoot. And th- those guys, they shoot, they shoot and they shoot and they shoot and they shoot and they don't give a damn. if They're missing. They continue to shoot. So I, I give them credit. I'll give them kudos. No confidence was lost. Eric Stevenson. He can miss his next hundred shots in a row and he will pull that hundred and first shot. Like it, he ain't missed a single shot in his entire life. I mean, Kobe Bryant S type shooting just wish he'd make a few. Um, The shooting did get better. However, on Sunday, you know, defense I thought played much better. And you know, you're seeing some guys I will say you're seeing some guys step up, you know, when Jermaine Kuznar plays well, this team normally wins, but new guys like James Reese, Devin Carter, I think Josh Gray's done some nice things. You're seeing some pieces come together. And again, I told you guys after the USC upstate game, that's going to be the big thing, big thing, just finding that consistent starting five, finding these consistent playmakers for you. And again, the problems with South of basketball right now, it, it feels very simple. You just got to shoot better. I mean, you got to shoot better more consistently. That's it. I mean, the reason you beat West, Western Kentucky, you finally made some threes. You beat them outside the arc. And what do you know? You won the ball game. So... You got to continue to stay hot from out there. This will be a really big week, by the way, for Frank Martin squad because they take on the UAB Blazers. And UAB, guys, is a good basketball team, by the way. I don't know if you guys know much about UAB. Good team, a tournament-caliber team. So we're going to learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot on Thursday. Thursday night at CLA, by the way. If you can make it, be sure to come on out. We could really use a rowdy crowd, but uh, – you know, th- that's going to be one of those early season matchups, I think, in the non-conference, guys, that if you can win that, all of a sudden you're like, hmm, you know, you can look good maybe doing it. It's like, okay. You know, I know for me personally, it's like, okay, like maybe this team could be a little bit better. Maybe these pieces can gel a little faster than than we initially thought. You lose that one at home and it just I- – I don't know, guys. I mean, listen, I- I- I've built my brand and my business off being totally transparent. I know that's what you guys appreciate. It's very hard to get excited for Gamecocks basketball right now. I'm intrigued about it because there are storylines to follow. I'm intrigued to watch new players. I'm intrigued because of what's at stake for Frank Martin. But the product as a whole, it's, I got to be honest, it's just hard to really. you know. I, I wish I got as excited to watch Gamecocks basketball as I did or as I do to watch Gamecocks football guys, even Gamecocks baseball. So I know it's early in the season. I I understand that. And the expectations were low. And I think that's probably something that's going into it for me, right? My expectations were already so low. If you can beat a UAB, if you can beat a UAB, get some momentum. You got a couple of winnable games after that. Keyshawn Bryant will be back soon. You know, you can beat UAB on Thursday. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, all right, maybe we got something here. So, it's a big week for Gamecocks basketball, coming back home, figuring some things out, continue to kind of figure out this team, work on their shooting woes. If you can get that dub on Thursday, could be a really big early season non-conference victory for Frank Martin and this squad. All right, guys, let's dive into your listener questions and voicemails. We have a ton of them, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it.
2: I mean, I'm just calling something South going. I just want to say that we came into the game looking <laughs> like we had no game plan. Uh, defense was soft. Um, Missouri came in making us want to stop the run, and we couldn't do that. Um, we had all the chances in the world to stop the run, um, and we should have been selling out since halftime, and we didn't sell out. Um, Austin line went back to normal today. Um, Jason Brown only has one move in the pocket and that is to roll out to the left. Um, we did not have a good game plan, and it, and it showed um, it's pretty bad. We looked like the first
1: eight games and not against Florida. Thank you, man. I appreciate the call, my friend. I. I have to say this because this just came to my mind. Listen to that voicemail. That guy honestly sounds like a drunk Wes Mitchell. Like if Wes Mitchell called in drunk, I would imagine that's what it would sound like. Your voices just kind of sound similar. I don't know. Maybe it was drunk Wes Mitchell. Who knows? No, I'm kidding. Um, No, you listen. You make a lot of great points. The the thing about Jason Brown, I, I do agree, man, like that, that spin out move, it worked great against Florida, but. Teams see that on film, man. You, you got you to do something different. <laughs> you you got to do something different because it, it, it did not work for him on a consistent basis against Mizzou. But yeah, I mean, listen, all your points are valid, man. The running game, the game plan in regards to the running game, the way they attacked it or didn't attack it, you know, what have you. You know, <clears throat> I can't totally disagree with you. I think you're right. I think you're right. So good stuff. Good call. If Beamer
2: doesn't have the, the nuts, to fire Satterfield and Atkins, and he deserves whatever whatever outcome he gets in a couple years.
1: Okay, thank you for the call. Thank you for the voicemail. I want to make this point. I'm not insinuating that you are making this point, but I want to just make something clear. Just because Shane Beamer doesn't come out on this Monday morning and fire Satterfield and Atkins off the jump, right, That is not an indictment on him. Let's see what happens after the season because I will be shocked. I mean, I will be truly shocked if there are not any adjustments made. If there are no changes made, I will truly be shocked. So I understand people are upset. I understand people are frustrated. Let's give Beamer the chance to do it. I think you'll be surprised.
2: Chris. Uh, I'm on my mountain weekend and I had the unfortunate pleasure of watching that game. Uh, I just want to know what the fuck happened to our defense. Uh, I just don't get how our rush defense is that bad. I wouldn't put this game on Jason Brown, the offense, Jason Brown, had no time to work with. Uh, I don't want to hear anybody on the timeline saying that Jason Brown's not the answer. Cause that's, that's a bunch of horseshit. Uh, but our defense was nowhere no words to you found tonight, and uh, that's what we put this loss on—not Satterfield. Uh,
1: that's just my two cents, piece. Hey, I appreciate the voicemail, man. Hey, that's that's you know a little bit different take than most you'll see. You know, most people do want to pin Satterfield in the offense, and but hey, the defense should share some blame, man. The defense should most certainly share some blame. You know, if you're going to be an elite defensive line and tout yourself as such. Well, damn it, you got to make some stops. You got to make some stops and you got to stop the run much better than you did. You can't let a guy run for over 200 on you. You just can't let it happen. So, hey, I think you got some valid points there. Let's look at all parties. Let's hold all parties accountable, not just the offense, not just Satterfield. Let's hold all parties accountable. So, final voicemail, then we'll get your questions. Well, Chris, uh, I think
2: I speak for everybody when. That was. If there's anything I've learned about South Carolina football, especially the last seven, eight years, and really that's been a fan, it seems like every time we're just about to take a step and build off of something, uh, we find a way to <laughs> disappoint. And that was the case tonight. That was the case during the whole West Camp era. That was just Achilles Hill. I'm not comparing Beamer to, to that yet by any stretch of the imagination, but. Um, just disappointing. You're not able to move the ball. You're not able to pound the ball against Missouri's defense or defensive front, but it's just been gashed by everybody. Yet, Missouri gashed you on the ground. And Let's, let's tip her cap to Tyler Beatty. The guy is a baller. He's a gamer. He is a hell of a running back. I, uh, I, he he took the cap. Tip the cap. He had 200 yards. That was great. Um, Missouri's offensive line Got our defensive line, a linebacker. Our front seven was just wasn't good. Defensive cross when you needed it the most. They did get pressure. They did get pressure. But I'm not blaming the defense. I I, I, I don't think anybody's really going to blame the defense. The defense is the reason we even cut the game back to three. They forced the fumble, kept us from getting blown out. They got the pick that, set it up that allowed us to get back in the game. It's frustrating and depleting that they weren't able to get the stop at the end to get the ball back. But I'm not blaming them. It falls on the offense, the offensive one. I'm not blaming uh, Jason Brown for that. It's not his fault. When you take a snap and you're on the run, a couple throws were his fault. But when you take a snap, you have some inexplicable play call for play action pass, some screen to Muse, and two guys come free, and you know you, you give Missouri seven points off of that. Just, just bad, just really bad. It, it makes it worse because we were on seven nothing, moving the ball. And get ready to go up two scores. At the very minimum you go up ten nothing. And you have a bad exchange, whatever happened if it was on Brown, I think it was more on Brown than Lloyd, but just oh, man. And now now you got two more cracks to get to a bowl. And I think we all know which one we would prefer out of the two to win. But now it's gonna get harder. So let's see what they got. You know, let's 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 see how we bounce back next Saturday night and see let's 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 pack Willie B and get our boys. Let's cheer them on to
1: get that six win. Go Cox, Tim, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate the voicemail. And yeah, I agree with you. Let's pack Willie B, man, for sure. I mean, hey, we got two home games left, both against Tigers. We all know the storylines against Auburn. We'll talk about those more much more in detail later in the week. But uh yeah, let's pack Willie B. But no, you make a lot of great points, man. You make a lot of great points. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit harsher on the defense than you are. Um, but um, yeah, you know, offensively, you just, you made blunders, you made mistakes. Again, you couldn't, you couldn't get out of your own way. And uh, yeah, it just, it killed you. It killed you in the end. Um, you know, some of the play calling, certainly questionable. That play action you mentioned where Jason Brown is hit and fumbled. And yeah, that make any sense. That make any sense for sure. Um, let's see. Avery Nine, we'll go ahead and jump into your listener questions. Avery Nine says, thought we had a chance near the end. Yeah, I did, too. I thought it was going to be, the, like, another another Mizzou miracle 2.0. Uh, let's see. doesn't matter. Let's see. Lawson Chewing says, doesn't matter. Let's get hype for Clemson and Auburn upset. I'm down. I'm down. Uh, Scottie Griffin underscore Scott. South Carolina football at its finest. No other words. Krusty Andy says, disappointing, yet hopeful. Good fight. We play like ass on the road. Two home games left. Yeah, I mean, dude, never know. Never know what could happen at home. Like I said, guys, this team's erratic. This team's inconsistent. Who knows what might happen? Um, Let's see. Fillmore Libby says, if I had to choose one, I'd to beat the Clemson variety of Tigers. Bring it. Hey, I hear you. I think Tim just pointed that out. We all would. Uh, let's see. CH Bachelor underscore says, back on the fire sat train. I hear you. I hear you. Hank Bubbo 34 says, we beat ourselves. John Prince underscore says, signs of promise, reminders of mediocrity, life as a USC fan. Captain underscore way, the win hangover is real in Soda City. Eli Taylor 2020 says, does he know how to pull guards or tackles? Because when he, we, he doesn't, we don't have success. I don't know yet to ask Sat that question. Uh, KS Johnson 901 says, O-line protection back to its norm. Brown was running for his life the entire game. Yeah, I, the O-line sucked. There's just no way to put it. The O-line sucked. The O-line sucked. Uh, American Offshore says, cursed. That's all. He also says, how do you break up with someone who continues to let you down year after year? I don't know, man. Uh, I think we're just d- destined to do this forever. Jim Todd IV says that if there's one good thing out of this. It's hopefully is fired. 129th out of 130th run defense. I mean, the run, the run numbers are baffling, man. I give it to you. The run numbers are baffling. Um, Chris all need to give Van his roses in a dumpster fire of a season with three different quarterbacks. He still balls out. Indeed, yeah. Josh Van's been incredible. Josh Van's been incredible. Uh, Austin, you're 45. I get it. Players aren't above criticism, but I think it's time for Sat to go along with Atkins. I hear you, man. Um, let's see. Trey former 2 says, at least we aren't Texas. Could be worse, man. They had a rough weekend, didn't they? Uh, so, we're going to say, the, the LK Mr. says, he has three questions to close it out here. Number one, he says, JB can't cut it in the SEC. Also says, ready for JJ to start playing with like the first round pick he's supposed to be. And Mr. also says, fire Greg Atkins. Hey, man, I feel your frustration across the board, man. I feel your frustration across the board. We're all there with you on this therapy Monday. All right, guys, don't go anywhere. We do have a great conversation, great interview, something to cheer you up maybe here on this Monday. Great throwback convo with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Nashawn, Goddard Nashan also currently the offensive line coach at South Carolina State. If you think I didn't do that for a reason on purpose, You are mistaken. Hashtag, let's bring the Sean Goddard home for the offensive line coach position. Why not? I'm vouching for him right now. But again, great conversation, great interview, throwback interview all the way from 2019, Guys, again, one I know you're sure to enjoy. So again, folks, thank you all so much for tuning in. appreciate the continued love and support. Hope you have a great rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Nashawn Goddard. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2001 to 2005. He was named freshman All-SEC and freshman All-American in 2002, preseason All-SEC in 2005. He's also a Super Bowl champion with the Giants in 2008 and the Saints in 2010 and currently serves as the offensive line coach at South Carolina State. I'm very pleased to be joined today by former Gamecocks offensive lineman Nishan Goddard. Nishan, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on.
3: Man, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for being patient with me and my my busy schedule right now preparing for USF this weekend.
1: No, no doubt, no doubt. We were talking just off here. I know you're in the meat of football season, but I want to go back to the beginning for you, obviously your South Carolina career. Uh, Talk about your recruitment a little bit, because you're a guy, I noticed you're from Dayton, Ohio, decided to come down south and play ball for Lou Holtz. Just kind of talk about the recruitment, what went into that, and what eventually went into the decision for you to become a Gamecock.
3: Man, absolutely, man. To make a long, long story short, I was committed to Ohio State coming out of high school, right? That's right. When John Cooper got fired for Jim Trestle. you know what I mean. And mm. When Jim Trestle came in, he wasn't taking anybody who hadn't passed their SAT or ACT score just yet. So I was just so happy I was one of those guys. He made a phone call to me, told me I might want to open up my recruiting. At that time, it was late in the recruiting process. Lou Holtz was there doing a coach. Holtz was there doing a motivational speech at NCR in Dayton, Ohio. And my head coach in high school was just so happy to be there. And he kind of pitched them to me. And he knew about me. And Coach Dave the DeGuglielmo, Coach Goose, came and saw me out. And Coach Fitch and those guys saw who I was. And I came down on a visit actually for spring game. Man, spring game was amazing. Like in April in Ohio, it's still like 50 degrees. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I came down here, it was like 80 degrees in palm trees. So it was a no-brainer for me after I saw him, you know, in the spring game and they happened to beat Ohio State in that Outback Bowl 2000-2001. And then I got here, that was my recruitment, and then I got here, then we beat them again in the Outback Bowl 2001-2002 season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was that, in a nutshell, it was that fast. I passed my test score on the last one, like the May 29th, and I was a, uh, I was a qualifier immediately. And uh, it was probably the best decision of my life, man. So. I'm not complaining. I'm just glad they had
1: enough scholarships left for <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> so we, we talked about just a second ago your former head coach, Lou Holtz. You obviously are someone yep. pretty rare. You play, you play for one Hall of Fame head coach, much less two the way you did. Absolutely. Uh, talk, talk about your first uh, first interactions with Coach Holtz.
3: Man, it was, it was surreal, man, because, you know, Lou Holtz is a legend in the Midwest. Uh, at that time, he was a legend in the Midwest. Now he's a legend, you know, everywhere. He's a celebrity all that good stuff. So being in those meetings with him every day, getting those million-dollar speeches on a daily basis, it was just unbelievable, man. It's crazy because to this day, we still recite a lot of his speeches and balls and nuggets that he gave us from day to day. And it was just unbelievable to have that real-life celebrity football legend coaching you and talking to you on a day-to-day basis. So um, it was, like I said, it was surreal. I was kind of in awe. And his presence was just amazing. Like when he walked into the room, how he commanded the room and everybody – be quiet, shut up, straighten up, sitting up, adults, kids, everybody. So it was kind of neat, man. It was like, you know, looking at the president walking through a room. So I, it was just a great, great atmosphere for me, great person to be around to kind of model my coaching career over.
1: So I, I won't ask you to do one, obviously, but uh, which of your teammates would you say <laughs> had the best Lou Holtz impersonation? Because I know there's a lot of people out there who oh, do pretty God. good ones.
3: Listen, it, it's between Andy Boyd and Eric Kimry. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to get a nod to Andy Boyd. Because Andy <laughs> Boyd, just he does all the, the hand motions well, the, the finger pointing, just all that. He does it so well. And, and, and Eric Kimry got the voice probably down slightly better. But Andy Boyd, by far, Eric Kimry and then Bennett Swagger, those three guys are probably your best Lou Holtz impersonators <laughs> by far. Oh man, Without yeah. We,
1: I, I, we've uh, been fortunate enough to have Andy on the show twice now, and I can oh, confirm yeah, that's his right, that's right. Uh, his, uh, his impersonation is pretty spot on and
3: pretty man, hilarious. Listen, and he, he, no he doubt, he remembers those stories like we're still like still eighteen all over again. And like I said, the way he holds his hands and coach hold, coach Holt's mannerisms, Andy has it down pack, man. So anytime we're together, like some sort of talk reunion or or we're back for homecoming. And you hear Andy. I mean, everybody's being quiet, (laughs) laughing at Andy the whole time. So it's a pretty good deal there, man.
1: No doubt. So, like I said, you got to South Carolina in 2001, freshman All-American in in 2002. Um, You mentioned playing Ohio State. Obviously, Gamecocks got their second straight Outback Bowl victory over Ohio State, which again you were committed there was your hometown school. Just talk about kind of what that meant for you. Because was it mixed emotions? Was it kind of you know a chip on your shoulder against those guys? What was uh, what kind of the thought process?
3: It wasn't any mixed emotions at that point. I hated those guys, so <laughs> it was pretty much a chip on my shoulder. And I think I hugged Ryan so, so for about ten minutes after the game, because Ryan Brewer, y'all, I remember, he had an amazing. He had an amazing two Outback bowls, but he had an amazing game that game. Scored one of the uh, the game winning touchdowns or game clinching touchdown, so to speak. Mm. And I, I was just so happy, man. Like I have several rings, and and that Outback Bowl ring is one of the rings I don't even bother. Like. I want that to stay beautifully gold and diamonds. <laughs> I wanted to stay awesome. So, I mean, it was a great feeling, man. A lot of those guys on that team were my friends, still are my friends. And it was kind of great to be able to kind of, you know what I'm saying, just have that little that, that, that little nugget over them that, hey, yeah, we we beat y'all. But, you know, it, it's kind of bittersweet because that next year they won the national championship. Yeah, crazy. But uh, it was good to always have that bragging rights over them. So, anytime I'm home, I tell them, like, hey, I'm I'm 1-0 against Ohio State, you know.
1: <laughs> For sure. So, so I was just thinking back. It's funny because, of course, we're talking. It's Bama week for South Carolina. I honestly yep. forgot yep. this. You were not only on one team that beat Bama, but you were on two teams because that 2001 team.
3: Right. Yeah, that was the there first you go, ever. in the back of the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah.
1: First ever win for yeah. South Carolina over Alabama, obviously, with Rod Trafford catching the game-winning pass from Phil yep. Petty. But uh, just kind of talk about your memories from that one because, again, you know, your first year yeah. at South Carolina, you're playing a team. You know, Alabama obviously then wasn't what they are now, but still a historic program with a lot of tradition. And, I mean, just talk about your memories from that game because that that was a crazy back-and-forth affair.
3: Well, listen, that game was amazing because that just so happened to be my first game dressing out at home. Like, I was a freshman, and, you know, they were trying to decide if you was going to redshirt or not. And that was back when you could play X amount of snaps before you decided to redshirt. So, Mm -hmm. anyway, that was my first game dressing out. Bama was ranked top 20 that year. And like you say, their tradition precedes itself. They're still a, a really dope team or whatever. So the back and forth, back and forth, just really seeing the the legend of Phil Petty growing, and, and Rod Trapper, one of those dudes who didn't get the credit he deserved, but was a hard nosed guy, blue collar guy, who just worked his tail off every day catching a big time touchdown in the end zone. And so back then it was a tack- We were a group. The tackles and tight ends were a group, a position group, with the coach Googe. So his touchdown was like our touchdown, you know what I'm saying? So it was just awesome seeing him catch that ball, score in the end zone. And all I remember, that was probably one of the last times we uh, we uh, tore the goalposts down. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like five points and people's like cutting up the goalposts, putting it in the bars, <laughs> putting it in sharkies. It was like amazing for that to be like one of my first collegiate games, and that ending like that, and and, and rushing the field and, and pulling down the goalpost. So. That that was like yo, welcome to college football moment for me, and it was just amazing, man. And I was just looking forward to college football from from that point on, man.
1: Yeah, and I was. It's funny, I was actually telling Rod Trafford that I, I forget which bar it is, but I was in a bar in Five Points, and there's still a piece yeah. of the the uh, goalpost. Sharky's it's like man, sign, yeah, yeah, that's signed, and uh... that is
3: Sharky's man <laughs> upstairs. It was up there, and that was like our spot because we always looked up there and saw that piece of the goalpost and. And you, I mean, you go back to that day, man. Nostalgia yeah. all over again, and, <clears throat> and you go back to those memories, and you remember that night, which obviously was a great night. You know, I'll tell you about it later on, but <laughs> but you know, that was a great night right there.
1: No doubt. So your your career in you like I said earlier, you earned freshman All American honors, freshman yeah. All sec in two thousand two, and you're a guy I noticed. I mean, you played center, guard, tackle. You were you were all over the offensive line. Um, I guess I'll ask yeah. you first, what clicked for you in that 2002 season that led you to have such a good year to pick up those honors?
3: Man, what clicked for me is I had a lot of good veteran help, a lot of good veteran support, because I was a freshman starting with a group of seniors. So my right guard is Cedric Williams, who still to this day is one of the most amazing guys I've ever been around. He was my right guard. He used to coach at Georgia State, and I think he's helping out with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. My left guard was Shane Hall. Shane Hall was a tough son of a gun who ended up going to the Seattle Seahawks, playing a little ball as an un- unrestricted free agent. And if you remember, my left tackle, probably the be- one of the best left, uh, probably one of the best offensive linemen in South Carolina history, is Travell Ward. Mm-hmm. So between those three guys, man, I was in good, good hands, man. And um, they made sure they helped me out on the field, instilled that confidence in me, let me know I could do it. Um, they helped me make my mic declarations, mic calls. All I was focused on was sending back a good snap because we were in shotgun pretty much every, every play or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those guys helped me tremendously. Coach Googe helping me out. The coach has put me in a good position That the, the one thing about a good coach is you got to make sure you're not giving someone more than they can handle. And I think they did a good job of putting me in the right place, not overdoing it for me, and just letting me be a good, athletic, young offensive lineman. You know what I'm saying? And so, having a good supporting staff next to me, uh, me being a pretty good athlete myself, I think it all have a really really good freshman year
1: man no doubt I want to ask you some kind of a funny question how often do you see people talking about offensive line play that really just have no clue because I feel like offensive line play is one of those things where you can you really can't break it down in its entirety unless you played the position and know the ins and out of I mean is it kind of funny because like you know even I'll talk offensive line but I know for like that's just one of those things that it's if you haven't played the position or if you're not a coach and don't know, like, like I said, the ins and outs of it, like you, there's, it's so, there's so much that goes into it. Like it's so complex.
3: Man, man, you're absolutely right. And like you said, sometimes, I mean, I'm a really good humble person. So when I hear it, I just kind of smile in my head (laughs) and don't say anything, but you're absolutely right. It's kind of, it's not annoying, but it's kind of weird that people just don't see that that's not the office line fault or that's not his job or something like that. Like, one of the guys that really killed me, and I know I'm going to get killed for saying this, but Chris Collinsworth, he kills me <laughs> because of things he says. And I'm like, dude, that's not right. Like, just stick the quarterbacks and wide receivers. <laughs> but whenever you see somebody like Sean O'Hara or, or Jeff Saturday talking about offensive line play or even Daniel Woody is on TV now, those guys really know the ins and outs of offensive line play, and you're really getting educated while you're listening to them commentate. You know what I'm saying? So when you hear guys not talking about it, you just kind of shake your head and be like, dude, just leave us alone. Cause you don't care about us until we get offside penalty <laughs> or, or our own penalty. That's the only time anybody like, care about us, right? The unsung so, heroes. I mean, you're absolutely yep. right. The unsung yeah, it, heroes. Yeah. It's so funny because I guess my wife been with me so long. She knows when it's our fault and when it's not our fault. And I just get so happy with her. Like, yeah, <laughs> baby, that was that was the running back with the tight end giving up that sack. That wasn't us. We slid to the right place. So <laughs> you're absolutely right, man. I just kind of shake my head and and I just laugh with the, laugh with and cry at the same time. So.
1: No doubt. So I'm, I'm curious, and Sean, when you were in college, obviously, you know, you were fortunate enough to get an NFL career, get a couple of Super Bowl rings. Who was the guy yeah. that you tried to model your game after that was in the NFL when you were in college, or maybe even still to this day was, well, who was that guy for you that you uh, kind of looked up to or wanted to model your
3: game after? Man, well, you know what? I was very blessed and fortunate to have him on my team and in the NFL while I was in college. So Travell Warren was my guy. Like, like he was my friend in real life, but in my mind, he was like my best friend, you feel me? So, like, I modeled my, 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 my playing career off of him and my off the field off him because Travell, great guy, never got in trouble, did things the right way, Christian guy, married, children, the whole nine, made it to the NFL, played 11, 12 years, and did everything the right way. Unbelievable game cop. So, he was my guy that – he was tangible for me. He was an NFL guy, All-American that I could call on the phone and say, hey, bro, Can I pick your brain about offensive line play? So, Travelle Ward was my guy. Then when I made it to the NFL, his butt was still in the NFL. So, I knew I could call him and ask him any kind of tips or anything. And and to this day, I call him with any kind of issue, any kind of uh, worry, so concerns. So, man, that was my guy. He he was my guy on my team, my guy in the NFL. He's always been that dude for me. So, it would definitely be Travelle Ward.
1: No doubt. So, like I mentioned earlier, obviously it's Bama week. I want to talk about that 2004 game because we, you know it's funny. Absolutely. We were we were talking off the air a little bit, and I mean it, you're kind of you have a point that a lot of people forget that game actually happened for what that that 04 season. Yeah. I feel like it was just a weird season. You know, sort of the the transition yeah, bro, before anyway. Steve Spurrier. Yeah, yeah, just kind of a weird season yeah. all around, and you know the brawl happened. Whatever. That that Bama game, you get you guys go into Tuscaloosa. You know, lay the smackdown on Alabama, which again, Alabama then and now, and now is two different yeah. things, obviously. But uh, no, you guys right. lay the smackdown twenty to three final. Obviously, we posted some highlights and actually posted an article on our website about that game uh, specifically. I know that the offensive line played really well. There was a quarterback switch in that yeah. game. Savelle Newton kind of went off in that game. Talk about just kind of your memories from that Alabama game, and I guess how satisfying it was to see their fans dipping out with about twelve minutes left in the fourth quarter.
3: Man, first of all, big shout-out to you guys, because I literally just looked at your IG post with the video clip of Savell uh, of scoring like a 13-yard touchdown or something like that. And that play right there represents what that game was about. If you go back and look at that play, look at that play, he was untouched. Like, we did such a good job as the offensive line and tight ends blocking that game, kind of in that 12-personnel, 11-personnel deal, and we're blocking our tails off. And so that year was actually a pretty good year for Gangcock. We just got into that stupid brawl and couldn't go to a bowl game. But we were bowl eligible going on for a good year or whatever. But, man, that game was unbelievable because we – that was my first time at Bryant-Denny Stadium or whatever. And it was just as beautiful as it is now. It was actually in construction to look the way it looks now. But, um, I mean, we kicked their butt, man, like just straight up physical. that We did to them what Alabama usually do to other teams, <laughs> right? Like we were – we were in double tight, tight end formation, just running the ball up and down the field. And like you said, I don't think they prepared for the greatness of Saville Newton. Like Saville came in there, and like you said, he got off. We made the, uh, Matt, Matt Thomas, uh, Troy Williamson was our wide receivers. They made the right catches at the right time. Um, I think we had a big special team to play that game. And uh, everything was just clicking for us, special teams, offense, defense. Obviously, the defense had to play well if they only had three points. But like you said, the one thing that always resonated with me was seeing that crowd leave around fourth <laughs> quarter after that last touchdown. Because, I mean, they sit like close to a 100 grand, you know, 100,000. Mm-hmm. And that thing's silent and quiet. It was a really good feeling for me, man, because I tell people a lot of times, like, man, in Carolina, I got the really good feeling to beat Alabama at home, Arkansas at home, Tennessee at home. Like, that's a good feeling where you beat them at their homes, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's a really good feeling to see their crowd quiet or leaving early. So, that game, like you said, man, for some reason, that's like a, a forgotten game. But believe me, me and the guys who I play offensive line with, uh, uh, John Strickland, Chris White, Jamari Levy, I think that was Jonathan Austin and myself, we remember that game like it was <laughs> yesterday, bro. So, I mean, that I, I, I love that game because I play with a lot of Alabama guys in the NFL, and that's the first game I bring up. <laughs> like, yo, I ain't lost to Alabama in college. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm 2-0 against y'all, so I don't care about all these rings, these new guys winning. I know what I did against y'all, you know. So, Bragg and Rice is forever, man.
1: No doubt. So, that 04 season obviously ended with Lou Holtz uh, deciding to retire. Talk about kind of what right. was going through your head when you find out that Steve Spurrier got the job.
3: Well, well that wasn't the issue. I was a little sad because Lou Holtz was leaving because mm. – you got to remember, man, anybody who come into your household, your living room, tell your parents on the program, that day they become family. When you commit to the school, that, that staff, everybody become family. So it's almost like seeing a family member leave, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of a bittersweet deal. So, you know, kind of sad. But I was more sad is the way we sent him out on his last college game, like the brawl, the fight, the black eye, you know, on his record, stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's what I was more d- disappointed about so to speak. But I had a great time, love everything he taught me, uh, love everything he did for me and is still doing for me and my coaching career and my family. Um, But like I said in an interview, man, when we got Steve Spurrier, it was a good thing. It was like going from J-Lo to Holly Berry. Like, it's not like we're going to get a bad person. We're going to get probably, arguably at the time, the best coach who's ever coached at the SEC level at that time, you know, before Nick Saban shattered all these records. So uh, Spurrier was that dude. He was that guy coming from the Redskins passing offense, something we hadn't had at that time. I mean, it was a great opportunity, and it ended up being a, a great decision, right? I mean, he won three or four 11-win seasons. Mm-hmm. Even that year he came, we were bowl-eligible immediately. We beat Arkansas, beat Tennessee for the first time in, like, 50 years, and Florida for <laughs> the first time in, like, 50 years. So he came and brought instant excitement to, to, to Carolina football, man, his, his first year so. It was amazing to be able to coach under – I mean, to be under play under two coaching legends, you know what I'm saying?
1: For sure. Yeah, and I was actually reading an interview you did, and you were talking about that 2005 season, obviously Spurrier's first year. And, again, it's it's crazy yeah. when you think about your career. You got to play for two Hall of Fame coaches. But that '05 season, obviously, there was a ton of hype, a right. ton of optimism because of the Spurrier effect. And you guys were able to beat Florida, win at Tennessee, yeah. beat Arkansas – Um, Some huge wins, some firsts for the program. I mean, just just talk about kind of that 05 season in general. I mean, just, you know, because I I think he came in. The cupboard was not bare. I mean, there was talent on that football team, no doubt, as as was evident in 2005. But uh, just talk about that 2005 season. You know, obviously, your final year at Carolina, how special that was for you to, again, you know, be able to accomplish so many firsts in your last year.
3: Man, very, very special. I think we were like the unsung heroes of the Spurrier era. Because, I mean, we got it going, man. We had a first-round draft pick in Johnson Joseph. Cole Simpson should have been a first-round draft pick. I think he ended up going, like, third round or something. But Cole had probably the most amazing season for a defensive uh, player in the SEC probably since David Pollock. But um, it was a special season, man. Like you said, for us to beat Tennessee and Florida for the first time, that, that's always going to be dear to my heart because I can remember the winding ticks of those moments and Josh Brown kicking the game with a field goal against Tennessee, and we really kind of beat Florida kind of handily mm-hmm. and uh, beating Arkansas, you know, holding them off because they had an amazing team. You know, that's when they had Jeremy McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis, and Matt Jones, the quarterback. So they had a four or five first-rounders on that team that we kicked their butts. but it was an amazing season. I think the one thing I can always say about Spur, he instilled that confidence in us because I think Lou Holtz and those, that, that kind of staff was kind of like, hey, let's hang in there to the fourth quarter and see what happens. But when Spurrier came, it was like, yo, we're going to kick they butt, and I got the plays to show you how to do it. You guys, just, you off his line, just hold them off for a little bit, block it like punt, and I'm going to get it in the end zone. So that was kind of like our running joke there. Like, hey, man, let's give, let's give Spurrier and Blake Mitchell some time, and we're going to kick some butt. And that's what we try to do every game. You know what I'm saying? So that year was it's still amazing to me. I still love that year. That's one of my favorite years, probably besides my freshman year beating Ohio State. That's probably the – the next best year to me, because I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like we won seven games, we should have won eight because we were up on Missouri mm-hmm. in, the, in the Independence Bowl, like twenty-one to zero, and before Brad Smith woke up. But that was also the year Savell got hurt; he tore yeah. Achilles, scoring a freaking touchdown. That lets you know how good that dude was. He's scoring a touchdown and tore his Achilles. But um, if we had a, been able to keep him the whole Season, man. Who knows where where that season would have went to, man? Because I think we only lost to Clemson by like seven points. It was a yeah, one was touchdown scoring game. game, I think. Yeah. yeah, close game. And and I'm telling you, the playmaking ability of Savelle Newton having that dynamic in the backfield or quarterback or wide receiver, wherever the heck he would have played, we we would have more points, of scoring offense. But love that season. Wish he could have ended a little bit better. But I'm telling you, that's the season that helps recruit. Marcus Latimer's and and Jadavian Clowney's of the future and and Gilmore. Because you see those games and you remember, hey, I could be the guy that laid his brick on this university and this history and this foundation.
1: No doubt. So, I want to talk about that 05 Florida game. Obviously, that was the first win for South Carolina over Florida forever. And, obviously, Spurrier's first game against his old team. I remember a quote he had after that game. I think it was after that specific game that said, I I didn't look over at the other sideline very much. How how was that week? for him. I mean, could you, I mean, I'm sure you guys knew how big of a deal it was, but could you tell, was there anything different about Spurrier that week that, you know, kind of let you guys know this isn't just another game for him?
3: Man, you know what? I don't know if I saw any difference in him. I think we wanted to win that game for him. You know what I mean? Like he's such an even keel guy. I don't think he shows much emotion. And y'all see that in all the press clippings, but I think we wanted it for him. Like we wanted them to know that, Hey, he's not going to a, second-class program, he's going to lift this program to the, to the roof, you know what I'm saying? So I think we were really trying to win it for him. I think it was more focused that week on our part. And he saw that, and he was like, oh, these dudes are ready to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that sense of security from a coach like, hey, my guys are ready to go to battle. They're clicking at practice. There's no lollygagging. There's no, no bullcrapping around. They're completing passes. The offensive line is finishing five yards after every play. Uh, the defense is getting after it after the ball. So I think he saw that we were locked in that week. Therefore, he was locked in as well. And if you look at that game, our defense did some amazing things. And on Mm -hmm. offense, we were clicking on the plays that you ordinarily don't click on. Like, I remember a play where Sidney Rice is running the route. He's running the post route. The quarterback throws the ball behind him. He turns in like (laughs) mid-stride and still catches the ball. And I think the whole world was like, who the heck is number four? And I think that's kind of, that kind of started the greatness of Sidney Rice right there. And then he had another play where he caught, like, a 10-yard hitch, and he breaks the tackle and runs, like, another 40, and he gets knocked out on, like, the three-yard line. So, you can see that the players almost wanted it more than Spurrier. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where after we were up by so much, we was like, oh, snap, we're going to kick these t- this team butt. Like, we're better than these dudes. And, um, like, I just remember that game because I was locked in, man. Like, I wanted to beat them dudes. It was my last go-around. Every year, it seemed like Florida just kicked our tails. And that was our, our opportunity, and we seized the moment, man.
1: No doubt. What what was your favorite uh, – obviously, you were part of that Spurrier offense. What was your favorite, like, Spurrierism or thing he would say to you guys or you specifically? Because, I mean, I, I've definitely heard heard different stories about how ruthless Spurrier could be, you know, in the film room or
3: so at practice or whatever. So Hey, man, listen, he was just so sarcastic. So, you know, in the meeting room at the game, we watched film together. Spurs got the the uh, remote control. He's talking to us. So I will never forget this. And he's my best friend. So I can say this. Jabari Levy at the time was supposed to go like second round in the draft. He was like a top offensive tackle, right? And he got beat by somebody. Tennessee guy. Tennessee guy beat him around the corner and beat him and got a sack in the end zone, whatever, whatever. And he turned around and looked at Jabari like, hell, aren't you supposed to go second round? Hell, if you're supposed to go second round, this guy got to go first round The way He's kicking your ass. And, man, when I said the whole team was dying laughing, it was one of the funniest, not funniest moments of my life, dog. And I'm just i just glad the joke wasn't on me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause it was on somebody else, so you can kind of laugh. But right. and the way he said it, like, yeah, yeah, if you're supposed to go second round, that guy got to go first round the way he's kicking your butt. And, man, I mean, we just died laughing. And it was just kind of the running joke with Jabari the rest of the year, like, Hey, hey! You better not lose, or, or that guy's gonna go first round. on you like
0: Gosh. it was funny,
3: man. Like I said, that Jabari's one of my good friends, so I know he's okay with me telling that story. But that I'd never forget that man, because you just <laughs> never heard the coach just kind of keep it one hundred with a player like that. Like, hey, you better get your stuff together, man. Wow,
1: that 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 is typical Spurrier, no doubt. Yeah, oh, no uh, doubt. So I, I'm gonna get to your NFL career just a second, but when you look back on yourself, kind of career, what was? Was there a specific, you know, maybe it is that Florida game, but was there a specific game or maybe a specific memory for you that when you think back now stands out amongst the others?
3: Man, it's going to seem small to y'all, but it's huge to me. So my sophomore year, we played Kentucky at Kentucky. And y'all know, man, back in the day, all the Kentucky games were close, but we- Carolina, we always seem to pull it out. You know what I mean? But it was special for me because I'm one of the first, you know, me and my family to graduate from college to go to college and play pro ball and play college ball, any ball, right? So, at the Kentucky game, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. We're only like an hour and 25 minutes from Lexington, Kentucky. Man, when I tell you, I had probably about 100 people there, <laughs> and all my teammates gave me their tickets. So, you know, we usually get four tickets to the away games, whatever, whatever. They gave me all their tickets. I had like 100 people there. I think Ryan probably had like 70. Like, me and Ryan had, like, 170 people there, <laughs> you know, by ourselves. So, mm. it was just unbelievable. My whole hometown was there. My, 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 my high school, my high school coaches, peewee coaches, basketball coaches, mom, dad, stepdad, all my dads, everybody was there. And, guys, man, I think I made one of the best game-winning blocks, and Ryan Brewer scored the game-winning touchdown. So, it was like the two Ohio boys with all the family members there had, like, two of the best plays in the game, man, and it was just a great, unbelievable feeling just to be with my family, hugging them all after the game, and my teammates just hugging my mom after the game. It, that was the most – that was the best feeling that was dear to my heart because my family, we just couldn't – they couldn't afford to come to a lot of my games in Carolina. So the Kentucky and Tennessee game were the only games that I used to get, my, get to see my family away. And, um, and so it was just really dear to my heart, uh, kind of an emotional moment for myself just, just having that win playing very well in front of my hometown home crowd at Kentucky and, and even though Kentucky isn't, isn't the team that you want to be all the time at that moment it was big for me so that Kentucky game of course the Florida beating Florida at uh beating Florida beating Tennessee at Tennessee beating Arkansas at Arkansas, beating Alabama and Alabama in that order is probably my favorite five games
1: mm, that's awesome no so you're uh you obviously you know you were a guy that did have a good NFL career. You signed with the Giants out of college as a free agent. and Obviously, you know, winning the Super Bowl for, uh, you know, an organization is the ultimate prize, and you were lucky enough to do it twice uh, on that Giants team in 2008 that took down Tom Brady and then that Saints team in 2010 with Drew Brees and all those guys. Um, I guess just when you look back and reflect on your NFL career, I mean, I I would imagine you've got to be pretty satisfied with a career that includes two Super Bowl rings.
3: Man, I am – Thrilled! I am blessed. I am privileged. I am thankful for my NFL. I probably would say no, because you know, just as an athlete and a competitor, I'm never satisfied, so -hmm. to speak. Uh, But man, just 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 tickled, thrilled, pleased, uh, blessed. I'm I'm appreciative of everything I did in in the NFL, everything I was able to accomplish, and everyone that helped me accomplish my goals. I mean, uh, to to win a Super Bowl with the Giants, we celebrated our 10-year reunion like a year or two ago, whatever. It was amazing to see those guys again. I'm actually celebrating my 10-year reunion this year with the New Orleans Saints uh, December 16th on Monday Night Football. So, nice. I mean, it was just unbelievable. You're right. Unbelievable. Another surreal moment in my life. And that and just lets you know how good God is, man. Like, I came from Dayton, Ohio. I mean, it, it sounds cliche, like cliche-ish now because LeBron said it, but I wasn't supposed to be here, man. I came from nothing. Lou Holtz found me, got to South Carolina, did a pretty good job there, did a good enough job to go to the NFL – I, I won a uh, Super Bowls in the NFL, luckily went to CFL, won a great cup for the Calgary Stampeders. And I, I met my beautiful wife, moved back to South Carolina, got a job at Newberry College. My first year at Newberry College, we win our conference championship at Newberry. <laughs> and so now I'm here trying to bring the magic to South Carolina State. And and, and, the, and and God has been too good to me, man. I can't complain at all. And I just want to spread the love. And, and that's why I'm coaching, man. I, I didn't want to be a teacher, so to speak. But I wanted to be a coach so I could still spread the love and and, and coach young men and help young men be great, great young men, uh, great men one day. So um, NFL was amazing, man. Great experience. Loved every moment of it. When you talk about playing for two coaching legends in college, heck, I probably played for another two or three in the NFL. Mm. One day, Sean Payton to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Uh, Mike Holmgren to be in the Hall of Fame. And, um, and, and those guys will probably be in the Hall of Fame. And just to be able to get that experience, that coaching experience under those guys, it's all uh, it's all coming up and showing now as I'm a coach in the collegiate level now. So it's unbelievable, man. Um, Having two rings, I, I, I just love them. Uh, they're like trophies now, man. I don't even wear them no more. They're kind <laughs> of in my trophy case. Uh, I let my son take one to um, show and tell one day. And, and it was pretty dope, man. So I, I, I let my kids wear them <laughs>
1: No doubt. So, I'm kind of curious. You know, obviously, the competition steps up big time when you go from college to the NFL. What was sort of your welcome to the NFL moment? Was there a guy you faced? Was it a team you faced? Like, what was that welcome to the NFL moment for you?
3: Man, it's crazy because playing in the the, the SEC, it prepared me for the NFL. A lot of those guys I played against in the SEC, I played against them in the NFL. Uh, I think my welcome to the the NFL moment was just practice, man. Like, I was – I was on the scout team, obviously. I'm on the second team. So, I'm blocking Michael Strahan every day. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, this dude is not only all pro, all this. He's a freaking Hall of Famer in the making, right? So, I'm going against him every day, and it's, like, crazy. So, his backup is O.C.M.E.R. He's a pro bowler, all this, all that. His backup is Justin Tuck. I'm like, dude, I'm not getting a break here. Like, everybody I'm going against is is, is freaking amazing. And I'm going – I'm like, it's like – I'm going 100% every rep against the best of the best of the best D linemen at the time in the NFL. So every day was like, buckle up your chin strap, dude. Because in college, you can always count on going against a a walk-on or somebody who's not as good or, you know, a a bench warmer or something. But in the pros, ain't no walk-ons. Ain't no sorry guys. It's all 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 All-Americans and first-rounders and Hall of Famers all over the place. So that was my, like, welcome to – NFL moment like, hey, you're not getting a break. They're going to come after your tail every play, buckle up and get ready. So that's how it was for me at the New York Giants, man.
1: No doubt. So I do want to talk about your coaching career because, like you said, you actually coached at Newberry yeah. or at South Carolina State now as the offensive line coach. Just, uh, I mean, just kind of really just talk about how that's going for you. I mean, obviously, getting into coaching, it's great to see former Gamecocks that are with different teams that you know, or doing something like that. But just kind of talk about right now, you're at South Carolina State. Obviously, we're in the middle of the season. How are things going? And uh, uh, it, it, would you say – would you want to be a head coach someday, I guess I'll say?
3: Right. Well, let me give a big shout-out to my boy, Bennett Swagger. As soon as I retired from Canada, an uh, opening came up in Newberry. Cedric Williams had just left for Georgia State. And Bennett Swagger helped me get into this profession. And I really appreciate him, and I appreciate that nugget there. And so, you know, we did a good job in Newberry to the point where we got promoted. And we got the job at South Carolina State. So South Carolina State, we had a rough year last year. We went five and six, but we had 16 returning starting coming back from that team. And now they're showing up. Now they're older. Now they're more experienced. So this year right now, man, we're starting off pretty darn good. We upset at number eight, Wofford, in our first game. And in our second game, we played uh, Lane College. Uh, we headed them pretty well. So now we're walking into South Florida. South Florida has two of our old coaches, Charlie Strong. He was our defensive coordinator when I was in South Carolina and our strength coach, uh, uh, Pat Moore. So it's going pretty well right now. Uh, Never thought I would be a coach, but like I said, I always like to help young men, and I figured this would be a way that I can help guide young men to Christ and and to prosperity, you know what I mean, just in their walk with life, all right? So it's been pretty good. Uh, I think that the the flip side of this is being a coach, is watching all the film, you know what I mean? So I'm on the flip side where I'm watching film. I'm preparing. I'm getting the preparation ready for my guys. And I'm trying to help. Um, as far as the head coach, I would like to feel like I could be a head coach one day, but I know it's so much I still need to learn. And I'm willing to take those steps. You know, Joel and B talk about investing in the process. Right now, that's what I think I'm doing. I'm investing in the process. I'm trying to learn as much as I can from people like uh, Coach Pugh or Coach Todd Knight back when I was at Newberry and any other head coach that I come about. Uh, I try to do things that my coaches did to me that I like. And I try not to do the things that my coaches did to me that I didn't like. So I'm trying to be the best coach that I can be in that, uh, in that aspect of it. But uh, I think the one thing about coaches is you got to have the gift, not only the gift of gab, but the gift of storytelling. Uh, the, the thing about being a good coach is, man, they, they're able to motivate their guys, tell stories, tell their background life, and wrap it all up into a point to where it's motivating you to be a better person or a better player for that day. So that's the one thing I'm doing by reading books, um, listening to guys writing down quotes and poems and speeches. And, and, and that's my motivation aspect of coaching that I got to improve on along with improving on my knowledge of the game.
1: For sure. So I, I want to talk about this South Carolina program and specifically the game Saturday and the Sean Gamecocks, obviously taking on Absolutely. Alabama, 3:30 30 kick. Um, I feel like there's been a million replays of the 2010 game and people reminiscing on that one, which, I mean, it was obviously a very special game South Carolina beating the number one ranked team in the country, but, I want to ask you more specifically, you know, you being a former player, being a coach, you know, obviously Bama's a big favorite in this game coming up Saturday. What do you tell your guys, you know, if you're in that locker room for South Carolina or what the coaches are saying, like what do you tell your guys going into a game where you know you're the underdog but obviously you're looking to pull the upset? I mean, what what is the message in the locker room to those guys? Number one,
3: let's have a good game plan. Whatever our plan is, let's execute our game plan. Number two, stay focused because there's going to be a lot of – Uh, talking all around the place. There's going to be the crowd. There's going to be a lot of, you know, Nick saving this, Nick saving that. Don't worry about that. Stay focused. And number three, empty the tank. Too many times, you know, guys try to leave something in the tank for the second quarter or for the fourth quarter. Hey, man, these type of games, you got to empty the tank. And, And I give that same advice to the coaches, man. We can't save certain plays for the next game or save them for Clemson or save trick plays for whoever else. Empty the tank. You know what I'm saying? You don't go into war saying, I'm going to save these three or four bullets. Nah, you empty in the clip because you're trying to go back home to your mom, you know, to your wife and your kids, right? So, mm-hmm. empty the tank and go all out, man. When we did those things, when we, you know, you could call them upset, when we beat Florida, Tennessee, or any upset I've ever been a part of, we believed in our plan. We say focused on our plan and focused on the game. And we empty the tank, man. Don't leave nothing for after the game. After the game, you should be sore. After the game, your fingers should hurt. Your ankle should be swollen. Your, your, every, your head, you should have a headache. Like, that's all iffy in the tank. And what you do, you get into the training room, you fix it, you take an Advil, and you get ready to do it the next week. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. my advice to them guys is don't not run a play because it's Alabama. Do the same thing you did against Charleston Southern, knowing that those guys are going to be slightly better than Charleston Southern, <laughs> but the same office approach and get after their tails, man.
1: I think we need to clip that and send that over to the team. We got, we got to get that out there some, some way to them. Get man, that play, no doubt, get that play hey. in the locker room.
3: <laughs> man, you got it, man. You got, you got the okay for me because, I mean, <laughs> if I ever get an opportunity to talk to them, that would be my message because guess what? That's my message to my offensive lineman now. Mm. We're going into a battle this weekend that we're probably not supposed to win, but I can't go to the locker room and tell my guys that. I got to tell them what they want to hear and what they need to hear and what I believe that we can do. And I think we can be, you know, anything we play against, if we follow our plan, stay focused, and do the same.
1: No doubt. Well, I know we're all looking forward to it. Obviously going to be a heck – either way, it's going to be pandemonium at williams Bryce Stadium, like you said. uh I think it was Savelle actually put up on his story. You know, they they put the, – they wear the same pads we do, same helmets. So, let's let's just, yeah. you know, ball, let, let the ball decide. So, we're all looking forward to it. And, Sean, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure to have you on. Would, uh, would love to have you back on Talk Some Ball and – uh talk gamecocks obviously but best best of luck to you this season as well obviously with south Carolina state um we'll definitely be keeping an eye on how you guys are doing this year in that offensive line as well
3: man thank you so much man i really appreciate you thank you for your patience getting me on the line i'd like to say a big shout out to south carolina good luck and definitely shout out to my team south carolina state bulldog appreciate it man you guys have a good 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 show good year good everything